All right, there are some texts in Matthew that I was super looking forward to. This was not one of them, but we're going to get into it. This, this, this week and next week are some that I've actually been pondering about, praying about how do we go about this for a long time. But if you guys will, we're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. And uh, will you guys please pray our prayer with us, and I'll read the text, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Our Father... We thank you for this wise picture of Christ's life. Please reveal it to us deeply through your Holy Spirit. Teach us to listen well, learn well, and to live out that knowledge. Renew our sight, refresh our hearts, and grant our desire to seek and follow you. Jesus, help us live our lives for you. Amen. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, then your whole body go into hell. In these verses, Jesus is continuing to teach us a new way. Uh, and he's, he's giving us uh, not only the rules of the law, reminding us of those, but he's teaching us the very heart of the law, the law that he would teach. And I'll say up front that and I'll say it multiple times, but Jesus doesn't want women to be objectified. That is the opposite of his goal from the very beginning. I know that in this time and in this culture, women didn't have a high standing, but even here in this text, Jesus is doing something that the, the culture wouldn't have expected, and Jesus is honoring women, and in a way he's trying to protect them at, at, at as well. But even in this text, Jesus is giving us not only the law, but the heart of the law. And he's showing us how serious sin is, how serious it is to get rid of sin and how it needs to be cut off from our lives. How we need to, as he tells the woman, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. One of the things that we don't like talking about, and one of the things that's hard because so many times religions come in and it's just made man-made rules around what God is saying. But at the same time, we get to set limits. We as Christians don't get to go around doing whatever our hearts desires because we know that our hearts can deceive us and our hearts are wicked and tricky at times. And Jesus is trying to protect us, sometimes from our own hearts or whatever we think or whatever we meditate on. But he's also protecting us from the wounds and scars that will inevitably come in life. He wants us to avoid the things that steal from us in this life, and as all sin does. In this particular section, Jesus is dealing with adultery, but he's also dealing with lust. And so in it, Jesus is dealing with sex and lust. Dealing, Jesus is dealing with the fantasies that sometimes we give ourselves to, connecting our eyes and how we look at things and look at people, connecting to him to our hearts. Jesus here is also dealing with the intent and design that he has given us through his law. And that 
And, and, and he knows that people take that law and take that intent and they twist it around and they do whatever they want to it. And Jesus here in dealing with us, he, he sees that a man, particularly a man in this case, he can keep his marriage vows and not commit adultery. In a moral sense, he can do his duty. But Jesus is also going to the deeper issue of the law and looking at the lust of a heart that can be in a man or maybe the gawking eyes of a man. You can keep the law, and but it's not just keeping the law is not the full intent for what Jesus has. Like he, you can live in your marriage, but you can also live in a world of fantasy and lust at the same time. And I know that the topic of lust and adultery, sex and sexuality, um, at least when I was growing up, wasn't talked about in the church too much. Or, or some of the churches that, uh, you know, most of us have been to, maybe it's talked about in a weird way or a strange way, or it was, it was done in such a way. And I know that it's a topic in our culture that has been boiled down to the talk. Did you have the talk with your kids? Did you do that, that one as if it's a one-time thing and then it's never to be talked about again? And yet, the scriptures talk about sex and sexuality quite a bit. If you read through the book, it's, um, I remember thinking like the precious moments. That was my very first Bible with the precious moments. Um, there are some pictures that the precious moments artists did not depict. Thank you, Jesus, because we're too young to deal with that. And, I'm, and so the Bible talks about things that, honestly, are pretty adult topics. And I'm suggesting that it would be helpful, um, instead of never talking about sex, having open communication about it. And, and it's a good idea, and the complexes and the nuances that we can talk about it. And when sex is talked about, when I was growing up, it was always suggested that it was a bad thing. Until you get married, then it was a good thing, right? And, and the, the design of sex, according to Scripture, is for procreation and pleasure and delight. We have Genesis 1 and 2, where God gives us our mandate, be fruitful and multiply, but he also gives us the Song of Solomon. Um, and I, I think we can say this in church, sex is not a negative thing. It's a quite a good gift from God. And um, all of us in this room, we owe our lives to this amazing gift. Do we or do we not, right? And so this is a, a beautiful thing. Some couples, even who are unable to have children for whatever reason, they can still even receive the grace of the delight and pleasure that God intended for us. And there's no shame in this. Sex is a beautiful thing. Um, but it can also, uh, but the, the, there can also be a distortion of sex that is not good and it's not healthy. See, what happens when we lust is it takes a good thing and it turns it into something that it was never intended to be. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. When we come to pleasures in Scripture, and I'm not just talking about sex here, um, the pleasures Scripture gives us within the confines, within limits, we get to enjoy them. Think about it this way. Food, we get to enjoy that. That's pleasurable. It's intended, food is intended, right, to eat and sustain us, but it's also created in such a flavorful way that we get to enjoy it. Or you think about wine or alcohol. There is a way to enjoy wine or alcohol without abusing it. And uh, here in this passage, we have sex. And all of these things are designed as good things that will help us or can help us enjoy life. But they were never intended to become the ultimate thing in life. They were, they were never designed to become idols, as maybe that's how Scripture would say it. They are not to be the thing 
that consumes our every thought and our every desire. We all have, they, they all have limits placed on them, right? What can food turn into? Gluttony. What can wine turn into? Drunkenness. Sex turns into lust. And as, as, uh, as delights and pleasures, we get to submit even our delights and our pleasures to the will of Jesus, enjoy them within the limits that God has set for us, because without such limits, they would no longer be enjoyable. They would just be something that would be abused. So lust or lustful intent takes sex and it twists it. Let alone the very act of adultery takes it and it twists twists it. Adultery is sex with someone outside of your marriage. And lust is looking at someone with the intent or desire of wanting sexual relationship with them. Jesus is showing us that he doesn't desire us to live as one who just keeps the law, simply saying, okay, God, I haven't done this thing. But he wants our hearts and our eyes to, to be in the law as well. Jesus knows what we look at and what we meditate on will affect the way that we live our lives. One commentator suggests that though we keep the law and never commit adultery, that fantasy and lust, lustful looking continues. And then, uh, then goes on to suggest that following the way of Jesus is a way of transformation. And the way it's teaching us to look different. And even as this way of Jesus, it might demand a radical surgery in our lives as we go forward walking with him. We might need to cut some things out of our lives in order to live for Jesus and the limits that are there. And they're not uh, limiting in a negative way, but they will give us life and life abundant. So as we get into this, lust and fantasy, they have nothing to do with the real world. Quite honestly, like when we talk about um, sexual sin, we talk about fantasies like the grass is always greener on the other side or this or that. And it's not always true. We neglect all the things of the reality of it. All of us can live in make-believes world that disconnect us from reality at times. When we feed our sinful fantasies, you know what happens? They grow. When we feed our delight on Christ, you know what happens? That grows as well. And Jesus is trying to prevent us from feeding our fantasies, and particularly here in this passage, our lust, because he knows that they don't lead to life. They don't lead to life, and like all sin, they lead to destruction and death and abuse and pain. These verses are connecting sin in the form of lust with our eyes and with our hearts and also our minds that there are times when we dwell on something we see or or something that we want that are not ours or to have or behold and we give way to imagining our quote-unquote better life or quote-unquote more fulfilling with these imaginary things or people and it's simply not true Because what happens is when we get into this, like I said, Jesus doesn't want women to be objectified. And what happens is lust, what it does is it turns people into objects. It doesn't treat them as image bearers of God as he intended for us laid out in Genesis 1 that we looked at. Lust, what it does is it allows a person to become something that they are not meant to be. They become uh, they, are, they become an object of consumption instead of a person to be acknowledged and loved. And we are people who are created by God and designed to live for him and glorify our creator. We are not 
um, designed to simply be consumers or to be consumed. That is not who we are. And Jesus, he has asked us and he wants us to live in a community because community is a great gift free of fear that we might be used as a tool. That we might just be used instead of considered as a person. An individual within the person of God, us as individuals that Jesus loved enough to die for us and to forgive us our sins and save us over and over and over again. In this text, I've actually heard it used in the past to put the onus on how women behave. So that, um, so women do this so that men won't last, lust after you. And one of the beautiful things about this is Jesus is actually putting the onus on the men for this. This is a beautiful thing. It's a hard thing, but it's a beautiful thing. Jesus knows the heart of men, right? You can read any book about the heart of man, and it's going to mention lust. And if it doesn't, you probably uh, want to get another book. But Jesus wants to keep men in their hearts and their minds pure and clean. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus knows that there will be times and seasons where men will be more tempted than others to look upon a woman lustfully. And Jesus is talking to these men. Not, uh, not all women are trying to lure men away. That is a lie that men have told for far too long as making it an, an excuse. And men, in their lack of control, have blamed their lust and their, the lust that is in their hearts on women far too often. Jesus is saying to the men, you need to own this. Purify your eyes and your hearts. Turn towards me. Look towards me. Don't put your lack of self-control on anyone else. And don't let your eyes wander wherever they want and your mind to make up stories about whatever you want. In the crowd of this sermon, this is what, this is what actually gives me comfort in being able to preach this. Because like, this is an uncomfortable sermon to talk about, but this is what this scripture is talking about. In the crowd of the Sermon on the Mount, there would have been men, there would have been women, and there would have been children. They would all be hearing this message. And since many have kept the law in not committing adultery, and they were pure in the eyes of the law. Yet I would think that the, if the crowd was big enough, that there would be women in that crowd that knew these men kept the law in a pure way, and yet some of these men still gave them uncomfortable looks from time to time, or would stare them down or gawk at them, and they're saying, hey, I didn't commit adultery. And I'm assuming that some of the women would have felt like objects by these men rather than who God says that they are, image bearers of God. And to be clear, it's not just men who lust. Men are not the only beings on planet Earth that are capable of lust. And it's not just men who make up fantasies in their minds and their heads about what could be better. And it's not just men who take things and pleasures and twist them for themselves. Women do this too. But I hope that we can hear Jesus rebuking the men and becoming an encourager to the women. Jesus wants us all to live in such a way that, our, that we're seen in the light of his image bearers rather than an object to be gawked at. Jesus knows that looking can lead to death of real relationship. He knows that there are lines that if we cross them, it's not going to be good. And like, like all of the new ethics that Jesus is trying to teach us, he knows that this is a difficult task. It is difficult to stay pure at all times. It's difficult to keep the law in the intent of the law as well as just the the morality of it. 
we are successful at times and at other times we are not. Jesus goes to extremes to tell us how important it is to avoid these sins. He uses strong language and strong images to instruct us on the severity of these temptations because he knows they will pull us away from him. I have, I have personally witnessed, and you guys probably have too, many a Christian who have been lured away from Jesus because of sexual desire and fantasies. It's a sad thing. I've known men and women who have had their lives upended by this sin, lives that they thought would just be pleasure and ended up being in a living hell for them, their families, their kids. Like all sin, lustfully realize it kills it kills so many good things that God wants to give us. It can destroy families. It can, the, participate, the, the participants are not the only ones who suffer. The spouses suffer. Their children suffer. If they have them, their extended family suffers. It erodes trust, fear. It gives way to fear to seem to win out. And it gives way to guilt and shame that Jesus just doesn't want for us. Jesus doesn't want this for us. He knows that in order to live into the fullness of life that he intends for us, there are limits and boundaries. And Jesus knows that sin needs to be eliminated at all costs. I remember when I, before preaching Sermon on the Mount, I gave the Sermon on the Mount to my kids. And I said, hey, do you have any questions? And they're like, do I really have to pluck out my eye or cut off my hand? But in the right, it's, it's interesting the way that commentators say it is the right hand and the right eye are presumably the hand and the eye of power, right? So it's, it's the power, it's the, um, the, the main way. If you lose your left hand and you lose your left eye, it, it would be not as bad as losing your, the side that you have power in. So if you're left-handed and left-eyed, then that would be the opposite, right? So the right hand is presumably the hand of power. Even this is something that gives us power and strength in life that even if it's something that does that, it might need to be taken away from us. It might need to be removed. If we don't remove these sins, we will be humiliated and powerless. Lust needs to be removed and we might need to set up some boundaries for ourselves. I guess it could say if your iPhone causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it out. Could say something like that in our day and age, right? If your YouTube causes you to sin or whatever it may be. And I, speaking of YouTube, I was watching YouTube this week about the, some Hasidic Jews. I was, it was a very fascinating documentary on the lives. I mean, and it showed, um, I know that there's, I guess there's a documentary out that's like the negative side of the Hasidic Jews, but like this was a positive side in which the communities um, uh, lived and dwelled. And it, it was very fascinating. But this video showed the extent that these uh, people went to keep themselves from lust. Men and women could never touch. No hugs, no handshakes. Once a woman is married, she never gets to touch another man. A man never gets to touch another woman. This is is their, their culture that they have. They can't even worship together. There's a big divide. And one person said, because if you're studying the word of God, why would you want a woman to come in and remove your focus from God? So, and they, not only that, but they can't dance in the same room. They have separate dance halls in the, in the purity of it. They have, in many ways, separated lives so that they can remain pure and for, their, uh, for their spouse. And I found this quite interesting because looking at this this week and going like, well, Jesus says to cut it off. So I can usually stand in judgment over cultures like this going like, ah, I think you've taken it too far. 
I think you've taken it too far. But for them, maybe this is how serious they want to take it. I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the one to suggest how to live out the limits that, that we might need in life to remain pure. Like, but, uh, and although, um, uh, although we live in grace that Jesus provides for us, he still wants us to eliminate the sin and set up some boundaries that might help us. Each and every one of us might have different boundaries that we need to set up for ourselves and not necessarily to impose on others. You know, others might have helpful hints and suggestions, but again, um, in this, it's not anybody's fault when we lust. We're looking, we're taking it in, we're giving in to fantasy, and yet uh, we can't necessarily impose our limits, maybe what we have on other people, because maybe they don't have the same needs or they don't have the same struggles or the same area of struggle that, that we do in this way. So when God is saying he doesn't want us to commit adultery or even lust after another, God is also saying that for, he's saying that for our marriages, but you know what else he's saying? He doesn't, he wants us to learn faithfulness in our marriages so that we also are faithful with him. He doesn't want us to cheat on him, not in reality or with our minds. He doesn't want us to look at other idols or other gods and say, this must be God. Jesus wants us to be faithful to him. He wants us to be faithful in his ways, in the way that he has for us to live. Jesus doesn't want to have our eyes drift towards idols. Amen. He doesn't want us to live in a fake world that the idols offer. The idols offer. It says all throughout scriptures that idols have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. And if we think and pretend that they can hear, see, and speak, then we are living in a fantasy world. And this world will harm us. It will leave us with wounds and scars, if not worse. Adultery in, this is, this is a fascinating thing. Because it's not only in ancient times, but there are some certain cultures where adultery today uh, has been permitted to some extent, or at least turned a blind eye to. Um, I've seen I've seen this. I know people who have had this culture. I know uh, where they and it's just like, oh well, this is just something that men do. Just let them go. Let them go do it. And of course, it upsets people, but they're not that upset. It's like, well, whatever. I'm just gonna forgive them. And I, I know that this sounds trite, but I've seen this, and this is, uh, this is not something that men of God do. This is not something that men of God do. It's not something men of God don't go out and commit adultery, and men of God don't, we don't turn our eyes towards pornography. We don't look at women and gawk over them. We live different. One of the ways that we, as Christian men, show that we are different is through faithfulness and fidelity. We live out this calling in our lives in a steadfast way. We get to show that we belong to the kingdom of God, even in our sexuality, in the way that we practice it, not only in actuality, but in our head and our heart as well. We get to participate in the blessings of sex and keep ourselves from harmful practices that even lead to death. And in this, we're also allowing Jesus to steer our desires. We... um, in, in this, this is another thing that's not very popular. Self-denial is good. It is good at times, especially when Jesus is trying to lead us and we're trying to follow Jesus because Jesus is after our hearts. 
He wants us to live for him wholeheartedly. That means we can't be chasing other things. He knows that what, uh, what we take in through our eyes and what we allow ourselves to look at can either bless us or harm us. And, take, and we get to take in the blessings and he's trying to teach us to leave out the harm. Jesus' directions are very stern. They're very stern. He wants to have sin and idolatry rooted out of us once and for all. He wants it removed. Amen? This is a beautiful thing. It is better for us to have some things missing than the whole thing gone forever and ever. Now, I, I want to mention that Jesus doesn't really... Are you listening, guys? Jesus doesn't really want us to pull out our eyes or cut off our hands. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is he's showing us, though, cruel punishments that were used in that time to show us the severity of our sin, what it does to us. It cuts us off from him, and it's better to go without some things than to go without him. If we give way to our sin and let it run unchecked, it will ruin us. It will destroy our relationship with God, and Jesus wants us to know how important that relationship with him is. Jesus goes on to show us how important it is for sin to be eliminated. Jesus eliminates our sin because he knew that we couldn't do this perfectly. He lives in such a way that offers freedom from sin his entire life, and he is teaching us that way. And Jesus is so serious about this teaching that he went to the cross to suffer for you and for me to take our sins away from us. He knew that we'd mess up. He knew it. He knew that we'd have lust in our hearts. He knew that he knew that our eyes would linger too long. Even if we kept the law, we didn't necessarily keep it in our heart. He knew we'd give in to our fantasies or indulge in pleasures beyond where they were healthy for us. And yet, you know what he did? He offered his life in our place. He not only gave up his right hand and his right eye, he gave up his very life on the cross for us for the forgiveness of our sins. I love that Jesus stayed faithful to the end because of our faithlessness. I pray that we might receive his grace and allow his grace to change our hearts. And I pray that our hearts might move away from fantasy and live in the reality of Jesus' grace that he has freely given us, that we can go and we can take that grace, that we receive it, that we get to live into grace. And what I mean by that is that we can let go of our desires and we can follow him wherever he would have for us, that we can protect our eyes and our hearts and our minds from this fantasy of living in an idolatrous world, and that we can go forward living in grace, that Jesus' love and grace may motivate us to live a sinless life, to go and sin no more. So, Lord, I come before you. Lord, we, we all in this room have given way to things that are not of you. In one way or another. Maybe it's not uh, through lust. Lord, but there are times when maybe we make you, uh, we don't make enough of you, where we make something more of things that aren't good, Lord, things that can't see or speak or hear, that don't really care about us, they just want to steer us away. Father, I pray that you will teach us to enjoy the pleasures that you have for us without making them God. I pray that you will protect our eyes, that you will protect our hearts, and you will protect our minds 
from all the evils that are trying to just take us away. Lord, that you will teach us those areas where we might need to cut some things out of our lives so that we can live better for you. In Jesus' name, amen.